actually is a podcast about reimagining the way we approach the entirety of the birthing year. Margot's goal is to combine her radical imagination with her knack for strategizing to bolster the birth revolution and a larger global revolution of feminine consciousness. Actually is a production of the Indie Birth Association and IndieBirth.org. No material on this podcast should be considered medical advice. Birth is not a medical event. Now here's your host, midwife and teacher, Margot Blackstone. Today, I am talking with Day Shieldcrit, who is an award-winning author, artist, ritualist, teacher, and is internationally known for morning altars, which BuzzFeed calls a celebration of nature and life. Working for over a decade with individuals, communities, and organizations, Day is helping to heal the culture through a meaningful and creative response to change. Day is the author of Hello, Goodbye, 75 Rituals for Times of Loss, Celebration, and Change, which just came out a few weeks ago, as well as Morning Altars, a seven-step practice to nourish your spirit through nature, art, and ritual. You can learn more about Day at morningaltars.com and dayshieldcret.com, both of which I am going to be putting in the show notes if you're listening here on the IndieBirth.org website. This is a really fun conversation, and I'm really excited to be releasing this episode for you all to listen to. Day's book is the book that's been missing, in my opinion, around ritual across the lifespan. And of course, we are so interested in how we can mark these important milestones or thresholds, as Day calls them, you'll see in a minute here, for women that we work with as midwives. And he has some really beautiful ideas, some really approachable and just playful and easy, I guess is the word I would use. Simple, maybe is the better word. Simple ways to just plug into this world of ritual and start creating more meaning in your own life. Or if you're a birth worker listening, creating more meaning in the lives of your clients, building these beautiful connections that are going to change the world. So I hope you enjoy the conversation that I have with Day. So welcome to the podcast. Day Shilmkret. Thank you. I'm so happy to be here. Yes, so happy to have you. My listeners have just heard me share a little bit like of your official bio, but maybe in your own words, could you tell us a little bit about who you are and what you're hoping to talk about with me today? Sure. I'm an author. I'm an artist. I'm a teacher. I'm a brother. I'm a son. <laughs> uh, I'm a lover. Uh, and I just had a new book come out last week. So the book's called Hello, Goodbye. The subtitle is 75 Rituals for Times of Loss, Celebration, and Change. And really what I wrote is a ritual cookbook. So offering ways to mark moments of our lives, the big ones, the small ones, and to make them more meaningful. We have a basically a meaning crisis in our culture. Too many moments pass us by and we don't do anything to make them to mark them and make them meaningful. And so people are swimming around a little bit lost. So this book is really devoted to giving people more resources to create more moments to mark the important ones in their lives. 
that's what I'm here to do. I'm putting this forward into the world and I'm standing on over a decade of really helping tens of thousands of people make their lives more meaningful. That's really beautiful. Thank you. Yeah, I got to look through the copy of the book before it came out a week and a half ago. <clears throat> and of course, was intrigued by the whole thing and, and especially the sections on birth, birth and motherhood, yeah. fatherhood, those pieces. Um, but I guess before we get into that, can you share a little bit more, like you said, a decade of helping people, like how did you get into this work of ritual and meaning making and How far back do you want me to go? I know, right? The six (laughs) hour long podcast. Well, I look, I started my first real career in my life in my 20s was as a director on and off Broadway. And oh, wow. Yeah. And so I was essentially just really drawn to telling stories into really theater is ritual. There's, there's, it's a really powerful experience for people, very old one. And that kind of transformed into my second career, which was being the executive director of a high school. And so I worked with teenagers for 15 years and parents, really, teenagers and parents and helped them to bridge their connection and also really giving teenagers an opportunity to acknowledge what, what was happening to them, the ways that they were changing. And my third career was this amazing thing called morning altars, or is this amazing thing called mm-hmm. morning altars? Really, the long story short of that is my dad died 11 years ago, and I also went through a a massive divorce at that time, and I was pretty heartbroken, as you can imagine, and I had my, I adopted my dad's dog, and we'd go on these long walks, and I would just be so sad, and, but I'd find these, all these beautiful objects in nature, like these beautiful leaves and barks and berries, and one day I just sat down and just started to make just like impermanent art out of them under a tree. Mm-hmm. And, and it was like the first time in probably eight months that I felt lighter in my heart. And mm-hmm. really looking back, I was like, grief can be really destabilizing. And I was literally like making order out of nature. And it was giving me some order to actually feel in my own life. And that yeah. thing exploded uh, like Thousands and thousands of people from all around the world started to do this practice and for different moments of their lives, especially birth. So people would have either their own birth or people in their lives would give birth. I've done this hundreds of times for friends of mine who have given birth. I've made one of these impermanent birth altars and, and I would send it to a new mother, a new father. And they, sometimes they like print it and hang it above the crib. And it becomes this moment of marking this very special moment with a very special offering. And so I've been doing this. I'm training, currently training a hundred people around the world in five continents to, to basically bring this into kindergarten classes and memory care facilities and like prison social workers and all over the place. And so I'm really standing on the shoulders of that career with this new book. And so this new book is not just making that kind of art, but this is about offering people going through lots of different moments of change and transitions and giving them these recipes, these skill sets so that they can cook up something to mark those moments. And I cannot believe this book was not written before I wrote it. It's shocking. Yeah. But especially with new mothers new fathers, new grandparents, new brothers and sisters. I wrote a chapter for each one of those in this book to help mark 
those moments. And I'm especially proud of the birthing mother, the new mother and birthing parent chapter, because I interviewed, I think, over 40 mothers, new mothers for that chapter and really tried to get into, especially towards the end of the fourth trimester, like what is happening? Like Mm -hmm. what needs to be marked at the end of that time? What do you need to reclaim? What do you need? What do you need to close? What needs to end nine months before the baby's born and basically nine months after is this enormous transition and something needs to be marked at the end of that fourth trimester. And yeah, I interviewed a lot of mothers and I also interviewed a lot of birthing experts like Kimberly Ann Johnson, who wrote the fourth trimester and who's yeah. a good friend of mine. And, and I'm very proud of what, what came through in this book and same thing with new fathers and the rituals for new brothers and sisters. I'm very proud of helping people mark those moments. Yeah. Yeah. That touches on a question that I had come up as I was reading through those sections of the book. Kimberly Ann Johnson's been on this podcast as well. Uh, (laughs) I followed her work for a long time and she's really doing cool things. So what came up for me as a question was, or I guess my first, first, I guess my thought I wanted to share was like, wow, this guy's like really done his research. This feels really tuned in to birth. Like this dude gets it. And (laughs) it's rare to see a man writing about birth, honestly, or talking about it. And so I guess I was curious, I don't know if you have more to share or not, but yeah, what kind of research went into it that led you to being able to write such, such a grounded and, and I don't know, from this perspective that is pretty rare of, yeah. I think, I think first off from my perspective is constantly through a meaning making lens. That is Mm -hmm. my, that's my lane. That's the thing I'm interested in and devoted to. And being a queer man, I don't know. I'm just like, have most of my friends are women and most of my experiences are like deeply listening to my, to the people around me. And I have so many people in my life who have given birth, who are pregnant Mm -hmm. right now and operating from this lane of meaning making, and also like deeply listening to over 40 of these people's experiences and not pretty, like some of them were deeply painful or ambiguous or very mixed. There was a lot of ambiguity in some of these experiences. And really trying to uplift those voices and deeply listen, ask good questions, and also try and listen to what was needed. What were a lot of these people hungry or desperate or longing for in this process? Mm-hmm. And, and really trying to offer them ritual as a way to bring more meaning and some ground to stand on when it feels like the ground is shifting underneath Uh, This transition that our culture says is like all celebration, but it's all yay. And so many women I spoke to is just, it was like, it was ambiguous. It was like, you know, there was beauty and pain. There was happiness and Mm -hmm. grief. There was like a lot of pride and a lot of shame or insecurity and trying to find their way back to their lives again or their bodies again. Uh, And ritual is a really old, faithful, and mandatory skill for being a human where we can reclaim ourselves, reclaim our lives, be witnessed in our pain and our celebrations. And it's not 
just regulated to religions. Rituals right. predates religions. So it's really a human making skill where we can change when life changes. Yeah. Yeah. This is all really exciting <laughs> stuff to talk about. It what is. did you, what were some of the things that you found when you asked that question around, like, what were women longing for and what did they need? And it doesn't have to be women specifically. It could be, I think all of the pieces are really interesting, the siblings, the oh, yeah. non parent, all of that. But like, what were some of the major missing pieces or things that were people were longing to have witnessed or marked that you felt? I think that first and foremost, like an opportunity to take good care of their body, to return to their body and to honor the work, the labor, the stretching, the intensity, the wildness of the body and to deeply care for that and return to it. Almost like offering their body the same care and attention and love that they are giving the baby. The same holding, the same warmth, the same connection. And sure, you, you could easily do, look with ritual, it's a very interesting thing. There's a term that I use in the book called pivoting towards the sacred. This is an old mm -hmm. term by an ethnographer named Arnold Van Genep who basically says like, anything could be ritualized. Anything could be sanctified. So for instance, in the book, you could take a bath and have a self-care day and take a yummy, like hot bath and take good care of your body. But in the book, I'm not just like one of the rituals is it's, I call it the care and share ritual. And this involves a bath. It involves like drawing a bath, either having of a good friend draw a bath for you and like really create a beautiful environment in the bathroom. And that could easily be a bath, just a regular bath where you like read a book or it could, you could pivot and that could be a right. meaningful, deeply meaningful bath. The one that you're uplifting the experience and making it sacred. And in this ritual, can I just share with you? Like I have, I yeah. Okay. So there's three rounds in the bath. And each one is punctuated by submerging your body under the water, almost like a rebirth experience. And round one is called, my body has changed. And in this round, I ask the, my reader to acknowledge the parts of your body that have been impacted and changed from birth. And it, it, to, uh, this is an opportunity to welcome and love everything your body has been through and to release any shame that says it shouldn't be, or it should be another way. And that is punctuated by submerging the body and coming up again. And then the second round is my identity has changed. Acknowledge the parts of who you are that have changed since giving birth to the baby. This is an opportunity to welcome the new roles and responsibilities, as well as to grieve the losses that come with this new identity. And then submerge your whole mm -hmm. body under the water. And then the third and last round is called my relationships have changed. And this says, acknowledge the ways your relationships have changed since birth, whether it's with your baby, your partner, your friends, or even yourself. This is an opportunity to reflect on and identify your changing needs within your relationships and to recommit to the relationships you value and submerge your body. And then of course, conclude to linger in the bath and enjoy that experience. But yeah. what this ritual does is it's an opportunity to reflect, to reorient, to acknowledge to really be in the presence of change. Like some yeah. things have changed. 
And we mm-hmm. have so few opportunities to do that in our lives, especially as things get busy and fast and with a new baby. It's so rare, but it's so important. As It's so important. And as you're describing that, and as I read that part in your book too, it's something that I could totally picture holding space for and facilitating as a midwife. And then as I thought, we, we often do an herbal bath, an herbal sort of postpartum bath in the hours after birth. I wouldn't do this then. Often we do it again on the third day. I could totally see doing something like this with someone at the six week visit, something like that, or at the end of the fourth trimester. But what what struck me was like, oh yeah, the herb bath that we do is already, is really lovely. And women remember that. And like the smell of those particular herbs will bring them back to those hours after birth and those weeks after birth. But oh yeah, like there, there are additional things that we could do to make it even more meaningful to market. And what came to me as you were sharing that too, and I think something earlier you said was like, there's this craving that women have for a ritual. Like I, yeah. I host a new moon women's circle and oh. 90% of it is us trying to like make shit up because we've lost, yeah. we've lost connection yeah. to ritual, whether it's for one of the many reasons, colonialism or moving from earth-based or whatever. And so I love that you have this template that people can just literally pick up and, oh yeah, this makes it feel doable. Like I have a plan now, instead of having to gather all the energy to try to make something up and hope it like feels good. (laughs) Literally this book to me, sure. It could sit, it could, this book could sit on your nightstand, but how I see it is that it sits on your bookshelf. It's like, when you're hungry, (laughs) grab the book. When something changes in your life, And I'm not talking, it doesn't have to be monumental, just like having a baby. It could literally be like waking up in the morning or like it's your birthday or it's the spring equinox or like all, or you moved homes or you're weaning your baby. Like, like these are all in the book. And I want people to be empowered to learn how to cook ritual. Mm-hmm. And sure, I'm giving recipes, but throughout the whole book, I'm, I'm gluten-free. So I see a recipe, it calls for flour and I'm immediately going to replace it because that doesn't fit my lifestyle. And so it's the same thing in this book, which is here's, here are creative takes on new rituals. Some of them deeply inspired by my own culture, my own tradition. And I'm basically saying, if it doesn't work for you, just change it. Rituals are passed down and traditional but they're also reimagined and renewed and they need us to make them relevant to our lives. Otherwise we're carrying something that's stale and doesn't make sense for us. So as an artist, I'm empowering other people to be creative in this book. Like here's a template. Here's a, here's the start middle end. And if things don't work, just replace them, but make them relevant to you. The rituals need to sing. They're alive. They need to change. They need to live inside of you. That's the most important thing is that they're alive. The, I'm a word nerd, by the way. And, and the etymology of ritual, I absolutely love. If you just read it face value, it means to count. Like hmm. one, two, three, four. That's the etymology of the, the root of the word is means to count. But my take on it is to count more like a dancer or a musician counts. One, two, three, four, one, two, three, four. And they count so that they can stay in the music so that they don't get lost. And the thing about life is like when life changes, it's so easy to get lost. You become a mother 
it's so easy to lose yourself. It really is. Ritual helps us to mark these moments to count. Sometimes they're repetitive so that we can find ourselves in the rhythm of life. So we mm -hmm. don't lose ourselves. Yeah, it's really beautiful. Thank you. Yeah. And I love, I've got my bookshelf over here with no books that are specifically on ritual. There's some rituals here and there, especially in my like witchy magic kind of books. Mm -hmm. And they often feel really, maybe they were written in the eighties or maybe they're just like written in this way that isn't as approachable. So I guess that's something that I really liked about your work here is it feels really easy to step into and like you said, make your own. And I love that you give the actual like reflection questions because I feel like so often sometimes like you brought up like a spring equinox ritual. It's like people be like, light these three candles and give thanks to the directions or something. Like, I need a little bit more. I need a little bit like more. Like why? on. Yeah. yeah. And, then, relevant. and then I'll find my own way. Yeah. But having that like inspiration of like even the words to say and, mm -hmm. and what to be thinking about. That's really really helpful and also encouraging witnessing which i do a lot yeah. in the book not sure you can cook a meal for yourself but but some of the time it's really important to make meals where you invite others to it and especially these big moments of life transitions like a birth or a death sometimes they're so enormous that we just can't we can't hold it ourselves and we need other people to witness us witness witness us in it and to hold our hand and to acknowledge, wow, you are passing through this huge moment and I'm with you in this. There's an author, by the way, of Bio Komalafe. He has a little bit of a take on the word witness. Have you heard of this? No, I'd love to hear it. It's, he calls it withness. Mm, I love that. Yeah, like not turning away from, but staying yeah. with the person, with all of the messiness. Like... Yeah. These moments of birth and death and all of these life transitions, they're complicated. They're messy, they're emotional, and we need to be witnessed in the full color spectrum of that. Yeah. That's our humanity. Yeah, and that's something we talk about a fair amount here at Indie Birth is the role of midwife as witness or witness mm -hmm. with women. And yes, we have clinical skills and that sort of thing. The bulk and the part of the job that feels the most meaningful to me is that being with women. And I think we, I mentioned before we hopped on here and are both home birth midwives, but we have plenty of clients that end up transporting and, and not having a home birth. And in whatever shape the birth takes, that skill and that honoring is what women come away remembering. Yeah. So yeah, I think it's really, it's very healing. It's so healing and Very it's, healing. Um, yeah, so important for our communities. And so I'm really excited to, to share your work and see what ways I'm going to incorporate that. And maybe our indie birth community at large will incorporate some of your really amazing rituals into their work with women. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. I'm very excited about that. Thank you so much. So we've talked a lot about women and birth and the postpartum, it feels like. What are some of the things that you wanted to share about these other pieces, these other players in the birth puzzle, whether it's fathers. You want to hear a sweet one? Yeah. I'm, I, love the becoming, I love the becoming a new brother or sister. That's really sweet. Yeah. I became a brother once upon a time. Yeah. And yeah. And it was, a, it was basically my first, I, it was my first 
identity. I, I didn't really understand that. I, I was three and a half. Aww. And I remember my mother got me a, a shirt that says I'm a new big brother. But I had all of these like little kind of things that were trying to communicate to me, like, this is happening. This is an important moment. Your identity is changing. But they weren't really ritualized. It was the yeah. 80s and everything was commodified in a way. You got the um, cute t-shirt. Yeah, I got the cute t-shirt, got the cute photo. But as a kid, <laughs> I really needed a little bit more. So I, I created this chapter in the book called Becoming a New Brother or Sister. And it's one of the more, I think, whimsical rituals in the book. <laughs> and it's called the Magical Doorway Ritual. And it's really taking, it's playing with this understanding that life transitions are thresholds mm -hmm. and thresholds are moments that distinguish what was from what is or what will be. And for a kid, like magic is such a, I think for adults too, of course, but like for a child, <laughs> magical moments really help to make them special yeah. And, and so in the ritual, I'm, and I really help walk the recipes really clear, but I help walk them through how to decorate a threshold, a doorway in the house. And basically the ritual involves creating a crown for the new sibling and doing this all without them seeing it. And so bringing that new brother or that new sister to the doorway and having on the other side of it, maybe some family or friends, people that love that, that child and that can receive mm -hmm. them on the other side of that doorway with the crown. And, mm -hmm. and so there's a crossing that happens. And maybe I could read you just like a few sentences. Yeah, I would that. love that. Yeah, okay. And it's to be made into a game, okay? So when they arrive at the magical doorway, introduce it. You can say something like, this is the magical doorway just for you. Right now, you are our only child. But once you pass through the door, you will become a big brother or sister. We're so proud of you. And we know how excited the baby is to have such a special big brother or sister. Mm -hmm. So before the crossing, before they walk through, ask them how they feel about becoming an older sibling. This part is intended to give them space to identify any fear, sadness, or concern they might have. And of course their excitement too. Give them plenty of space to answer in their own way. And after they've had a chance to express their feelings, you can name your excitement too and what they're crossing through this passage means to you. For instance, you can say, your little brother or sister is so lucky to have you give them and then name a special quality they have. Or being a big brother or sister means that you're gonna have an important job too and then name a responsibility that they will get. By doing this, you are celebrating this new role and honoring their experience. After that, ask them, are you ready to walk through this magical doorway and become a big brother or sister? And as the child walks through to the other side, encourage the aunties or uncles or whoever's there on the other side to sing and clap and celebrate this passage. They can all gather around and hug or kiss the child too. What's most important is that the other adults are on the other side receiving them with love. And then of course, there's this crown that, that basically is a ritual object. It's a ritual object that, that mm. says, I am this. And the last part of the chapter really encourages them to wear that crown when the new baby arrives so that they're very mm. clear about their role, their new role, the new person that they are. And yeah. this is like a very sweet little ritual that like whimsically takes 
a moment that's actually quite meaningful and lets it focus on this new brother or new sister that is taking on a new role, but most parents don't know what to do. So I love that. Oh. I think it's, it's, it has all the qualities of ritual in it, but it's creative. It's fun. It's beautiful. It's meaningful. It's whimsical. Yeah, that is so sweet. I'm a total Pisces and it made me tear up. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> blubber about it. It's so yeah. sweet. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you just mentioned like the elements of ritual. Do you want to share with us what those are? What makes something a ritual? Sure. First and foremost, rituals can't be thought. They have to be done. That's like mm. a fundamental part of a ritual is that they have to be done. The kind of doing in the book is something I call symbolic action. So for example, rituals are often involve something like tearing, breaking, burning, submerging, burying, twisting, tying. I can go on. Yeah. Action. But they're action, symbolic actions. But in our yeah. culture, we're so often like utilitarian focused. And so right. we're like our dominant culture, we look at these things and we're like, what's the point? It doesn't do anything. Right. <laughs> but that's exactly the point of ritual is that they're not meant to quote unquote, do something. They're meant to symbolize something. They're meant to symbolize what's happening internally, externally. Rule number one is rituals have to be done. Rule number two, rituals need a beginning, a middle and an end. Meaning like they don't just keep going on indefinitely. They need to start. They mm-hmm. have something happens and they conclude. How that happens is dependent on the ritual, but like going to a theater. The play starts, it happens, and then you applaud because it's over. Rituals are very similar. Rituals often have witnesses, as we talked about. Others that can gather around the person or people going through this threshold. I mentioned that word a lot, by the way, and this is a very important word when it comes to rituals because thresholds mean, for most of us, they mean doorways. But actually, the word itself is a little bit more ambiguous, thresholds. And mm. the, mo- the thing that it really refers to is the act of threshing. Do you know what that means? Farm-related, right? <laughs> threshing grain. It's yeah. basically like, a, before we had machines do it, this is how we ate, is we people would sit around it. and yeah. beat the grain and it would be the expression separating the wheat from the chaff, right? Yeah. So this is, that's the act of threshing. But here's the cool thing. The whole thing is an act of separating. That's what you're doing when you're threshing. So moment, threshold mm-hmm. moments are discernment moments. They're separating moments. They're opportunities where we can say, I am no longer that. I am this. That was, this is. Sometimes it's really hard to do that. As I told you, I interviewed like 250 people for this book. And one of the stories that's coming up right now is I wrote a whole retirement chapter. Yeah. And this one woman I I interviewed, she said for two years after she retired, she kept on waking up at 5 a.m. every day, (laughs) panicked. She was having anxiety attacks because she felt like she was late for work or she had a project to Her psyche was not able to determine the difference between what was and what is. Mm. And so we need ritual to help our psyches adjust to that kind of change. That woman was in her job for 30 plus years. She's doing the same thing every day for 30 plus years. 
So ritual helped her to distinguish between the life she had and the life Mm -hmm. she has. And every life transition, whether you're giving birth or your kid leaves for college or you retire or whatever, all of these moments, we really need more help to to discern the person we were from the person that we are. Yeah. And even with having kind of a manual cookbook here, that still takes so much like introspection and self-awareness. And so it's really nice to have this resource so that you don't have to like make it up on the spot. Totally. Yeah. That's why I did it. I love creating rituals, but also more so I really we're in collectively, we're in such a massive time of change right now. Yeah. And I don't know about you, but the last two years have been so intense. Yeah. And I've gone through, uh, there's been a lot of celebrations the last two years and a lot of loss. Mm-hmm. And, and we're going to continue to all collectively go through more change. And so we need yeah. opportunities to mark what is changing so that yeah. we can really let go of the things that, you know, that need to be let go of and really welcome the new things that change brings. Yeah, couldn't agree more. Yeah, is there anything else you were hoping to share with our audience in particular who mostly is made up, mostly made up of these radical mamas and- Yay. First uh, off, I love you, radical mamas. That's number (laughs) one is, yes. And then the word radical is a very interesting word. The etymology Mm -hmm. of the word radical means roots. Okay. So really, when we say radical mothers, we're talking about mothers deeply rooted. And the question is rooted in what? And I think in some ways, we need to root ourselves back into the earth and back our back into our communities and back into our bodies and back into the great mystery that is this life. And yeah. the more we can root ourselves and rooting is like a, it's an invisible thing. Roots, we don't see roots and they move slow. And there's a lot of trust in that. It's roots are much bigger than the actual branches that we see in the tree. Right. So when I hear radical mothers, I really hear this underground movement of amazing humans who are moving slower and who are moving more collectively and who are remembering together and who are really rooting themselves back into the things that made us healthy humans for centuries and that we've forgotten this these days. And we have to remember together and mm. forgetting is human. I forget all the time. I'm <laughs> sure you do too. I do. Yeah. But remembering is the place of ritual and ceremony. Do you know, have you ever read the book Braiding Sweetgrass by Robin Walker? Oh, yes, yes. So for those of your listeners that don't know, this book's amazing. This is an indigenous woman who works with, she basically bridges plant, the indigenous plant medicines and botanical sciences. It's really a bridge book. The sacred and the science. Exactly. I was like, yes, yes. And Robin Sorry. in her book, <laughs> she says, in one chapter, she says, our elders tell us that ceremony is our way to remember. It's a very deep sentence. It yeah. basically says, we forget. That's normal. But we need mechanisms that help us remember. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, we'll just keep forgetting. 
and we'll forget yeah. who we are and where we are and when we are and all of those things. And so their people's ceremonies are mechanisms that say, hey, remember where you are, remember what you are, remember who you are. And therefore their culture stays healthy and the people stay healthy. And we need those two in the West. Those yeah. of us that don't come from indigenous cultures, we need our own ways to remember sometimes yeah. separately and sometimes together. Yeah, yeah. And that piece of depending on your ancestry, like how long ritual and ceremony has been out of your lineage. And for a lot of people who are listening, I know we hear from women all the time, like they feel like they're maybe the, the black sheep of their community or their family, like thinking about birth and the way that we talk about or thinking about ritual in the way that you're talking about. And sometimes not having that direct lineage, someone to be learning these things from, like this resource you've created is so amazing that it can bridge that. And then it's also making me think more about that roots imagery that you're sharing, like planting that seed without having to be directly hands-on face-to-face teaching people these practices. And so many of us are without, either are without elders or without culture, lost was the word you had used earlier too. And it's true. I talk about it's without giving away too much, but I start the introduction of the book with a very tender and personal story. My mother has dementia Mm. and she's been living in a memory care facility for now two years. And there was one day about a year and a half ago where she forgot my name. And it was the first, it was the first time that ever happened. And this is my mom. This is the person that birthed me into the world. This is the person that named me. And there was this moment where she forgot and I didn't know what to do. And life just tried to carry on. Like I had emails to answer and phone calls to do. And, Mm. and, and I just, I just was so devastated. I didn't know what to do. And so in the introduction of the book, I basically said, this is what I did. I'm not going to give it away. In the second, the reason I'm bringing that story up is because the second part of the introduction basically asks this question. If it's possible for a person to lose their memory, is it possible Mm -hmm. for a culture? I go into the whole story of my own culture, my people who were, who had to flee Europe because they were being persecuted And basically saying, we maintained some of our rituals, but we lost so many in that passage. And so I talk quite a bit about what a culture's forgetfulness is, how a culture remembers, what do we do when we don't come from a culture that remembers, and really going into, and I also mentioned cultural appropriation in the book. And so I go into a lot of these yeah. things, but they're not unrelated. They're very, when we talk about ritual, we have to talk about these things. Yeah. Yeah. I'm glad you brought that up because I feel like that's a thing for sure in, in the birth world, just people grasping for kind of any, any, again, meaning making that they can yeah. and how do we do that in a way that is, yeah. How do we bring ritual into our work in a way that is respectful? Yeah, we're like, I don't know if you've ever been a part of other cultures rituals, but so I have and it's like attending like this amazing feast. Yeah. And sometimes some of us are so hungry that we can't help but take from that. And so I really talk about in the book quite a bit about how do we approach a feast like that without stealing from it? And also how do we feed ourselves? 
how do we reclaim and redeem rituals and feed our families and feed ourselves with meaning mm. because that our souls are hungry for it. Yeah. And those needs need to be met and very in much a so. conscious way. Yeah. Very much. So. Yeah. I'm just having these like flashes of the women listening to this podcast and hopefully the other ones that you've been on talking about your book too, getting a copy of your book and, and getting brave enough to offer this to their friends or to ask for it for themselves. And so I guess that's my plea to listeners is of course, get a copy of this really beautiful book and, and be the, be that person in your community, because I think, um, like I said, I, I host the new moon women's circle and it came out of this need for meaning making and connecting with other women in particular. And, and when I put it out there, I was like, I'm not like a ceremonialist. Like I, I don't, I'm not like a high priestess. I'm not like, whatever, <laughs> like I'm not that person. Um, and so it was really hard and took a long time for me to get brave enough and vulnerable enough to say, Hey, I need this. Someone, does anyone else? And I think we have, we don't usually have all of them show up, but I think we have 35 or 40 wow. women. And I don't very large who were like, yes, me, please invite me. to this." Can I ask um, you, what is, what was your need? What was my need? Yeah. What was the thing inside of you that was like, I need to have a new moon circle with other women. Yeah. I feel like the new moon piece was tangential to the rest of it, which was just, just needing human connection and a place for, again, that witnessing and that deeper emotional and spiritual connection with other Gathering. people, especially yeah, especially after after the last few years, that being like a, a minefield of yeah. different perspectives and approaches and all of that. Yeah, just to be to a place to explore too. Like as a mom, I have a how old are my kids? Almost three, <laughs> almost a two and a half, almost three, and seven and a half. Definitely, even with like amazing community and support, and being a midwife myself and being in this world of birth, like I've had amazing opportunities for meaning making and thinking through this shift into motherhood I've interviewed all the people and even with that definitely still was feeling lost for me the postpartum both times I've had a baby has felt more like two and a half years long wow yeah <laughs> before I'm like oh like now I'm, I'm ready popping to out of this yeah person that mm -hmm. I am and so it was coming on the heels of that. My son was about to turn two and I was just like, I still don't know what the fuck is going on. And like, what's happening in here and who am I? And, and as a midwife, I get to do that. Um, I guess that was a piece of it too, was I do this for other people and I didn't feel like anyone was doing it for me. And so it was me genuinely being like, can we all just sit around and pass the stone and talk about what, you know? Um, it's so, so simple and so beautiful. Yeah. And we've taken turns hosting it and some are more the, elaborate than others, but yeah. The, th the thing I about the thing about the thing you're also saying about the, because of the moon is that she moves in cycles. Yeah. And so there's that regularity, that repetition that mm -hmm. happens. It's not a one and done thing. Mm -hmm. You're basically saying as the moon cycles, like we need to gather together again. And that that is so human. That's so, it's so what we all need is we need these opportunities to come back together again, to come back together again. By the way, that's the, how crazy is that? This is the root of the word artist and art. It means to come back together, to bring mm. things back together again. Mm. Yeah. So yeah, it's very creative. It's very human to have opportunities where we, life is just like naturally scattering and confusing yeah. and destabilizing. Yeah. And we need these times to just return.
Yeah, absolutely. Is there anything we haven't covered that you were hoping to cover today? Any insights? I could talk, honestly, I could talk with you for five more hours. I just had four thoughts that came up where I was like, this is, I love talking about this. So yeah, I'm happy to answer any questions. I could just go on and on. I really think <laughs> to me, ritual is like mindfulness 2.0. Like I, I really think that we mm-hmm. need to be a collective renaissance where we reclaim and redeem small and big rituals and mark mark these moments. So by the way, during the pandemic, it was a really weird experience. I kept on reading like mainstream newspapers, like the New York Times and the Harvard Review and like the Wall Street Journal, like calling for rituals. And I was like, we must be in desperate times if (laughs) newspapers are calling for rituals and we are in desperate times. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I just want to thank you for being such a good host to me and doing the good work that you're doing with all of the, with all of your listeners. We're all in cahoots together. So yeah. So I thank you for your good work and everyone listening. I really thank you for all the ways that you're rooting yourself and your families. Thank you so much for that. Remind us one more time where we can find more about you and your work and your book. The title again. The title of the book is Hello, Goodbye. Pretty easy to remember. The subtitle is 75 Rituals for Times of Loss, Celebration, and Change. And you can find me on Instagram. My tagline is Morning Alters, M-O-R-N-I-N-G, like morning and alters, A-L-T-A-R-S. I'm on Facebook too. And my websites are either morningalters.com or my name, Shulkret. Dot com and I guarantee me guarantee if you start searching for me you're gonna find a lot of beauty as an artist I put out a lot of beauty my first book in the world was all about these altars that I make they are so beautiful thank you they are really beautiful thank some of you. them were just like total <laughs> I mean, yeah people definitely go look and I will add all of that to the show notes as well awesome so people can click if they're on our website listening to this but if you're listening in one of the podcast apps you'll have to type those in yourself but cool definitely recommend it thank you thank you so much for being here today and uh, maybe we'll maybe we'll do a follow-up episode someday when i've had a chance to integrate some of this into my work i'd love that a report back. i would love that that sounds fantastic cool thank you so much and uh, that's it for the moment hello Thanks, goodbye thanks. If you enjoyed what you heard, please hit the subscribe button and give this podcast a five-star review. For more enriching content and conversation around the primal physiological process that is pregnancy, birth, and beyond, please head over to IndieBirth.org. And if you are in the Duluth area seeking prenatal and midwifery support, you can find Margot at Duluth Midwife. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time.